A reading from Matthew. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere, and teach the way of God in accordance with truth, and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. Our daughter Penny has been asking a lot of questions recently. She's four and a half years old, which means that at any given moment, she has more questions than we have answers. But, but recently, her questions have become deeper, more thoughtful, and to be honest, harder for Annie and I to answer. In the past few weeks, she's begun to ask a lot if God made something. Did God make me? Did God make Santa? Did God make bananas? Did God make my Play-Doh? Did God make our house? How do you answer those questions well? It's complicated, right? Like, yes, God made you, Penny, but mom and dad were involved too, and you'll probably learn more about that as you get older. And sure, God made Santa, and not the other way around, but but also Santa has been shaped by folklore and consumerism and marketing. God definitely made bananas, but that banana you're kind of shoving into your seat right now was also tended by a farmer who labored with patience and care to grow it. It was harvested by somebody and then transported by somebody else. And I I guess God made Play-Doh because God made the things that make Play-Doh, but it's not like God's hanging out at the Play-Doh factory, which means other people make it too. And, And I guess God invented the whole idea of shelter, and we believe our home is a gift from God, but, but also it was the hands of construction workers and laborers who built it to protect and to shelter us. So did God make these things? I think the most honest answer is that it's complicated. And that's also the most honest answer to the question that the religious leaders and Herodians asked Jesus in our gospel reading from Matthew this morning. They asked him this question about paying taxes to try to trap him. If Jesus said that you should pay taxes, then then they can label him as someone who supports Rome, conspires with Rome, and so he'd lose support of the average person, which was most of his followers. On the other hand, if he said that you shouldn't pay taxes, then they could declare him an enemy of the empire, say that he's guilty of sedition. And so they ask, should you pay taxes to the emperor? And the answer, honestly, is that it's complicated. Life doesn't divide, at least most of the time, neatly into what's holy and what's profane, and and Jesus knew that. Think about the response that he gave for a minute. Give 
to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Well, then what belongs to Caesar? And, and what belongs to God? And does anything in this world not belong to God? It's complicated. Is the wealth and money that you have yours? It's complicated. Most of us have worked really hard to gain the resources that we have, though we know that for many of us, our family background and skin color gave us a head start. So is it your money? Sure. But didn't God give you the ability to work and earn money? Didn't God bless you with intelligence and the skills you need to complete the tasks necessary to make a living? The Bible says that God gives us the ability to make wealth. So is your wealth God's? It's complicated. Though I'll tell you, the people of faith who inspire me the most are those who have a keen sense that everything they have is not theirs, it's God's. And their job is to use it in ways that honor God and love and serve other people. See, this question that they asked Jesus was intended to be a trap, but it forces us to wrestle with some, some deep topics. Like, how should we view paying taxes? It's complicated. Does our money belong to us or to the emperors of our day or to God? It's complicated. If you take out coins or dollar bills right now, you'll see that all the currency in our nation does have pictures from people in our past. But ever since President Eisenhower signed it into law in 1956, it also has the words, in God we trust, on it. So who does that money belong to? It's complicated. How are we supposed to relate to the government, recognizing that we're both citizens of this nation, but also that we have a higher citizenship in God's kingdom? It's complicated. Throughout history, people of faith have wrestled with these questions and come up with many different answers. Some have chosen to withdraw from this world as much as possible. Others have sort of tolerated the world, but refused to participate in systems of governments and taxation. Others have found it easy to balance their dual citizenship in a nation and in God's kingdom and have discovered ways to, to serve both at the same time. Some have even tried to combine religion and government, which has, well, which has almost always led to really bad and harmful outcomes. Our own Lutheran tradition has struggled with these questions. We've always believed that that famous verse that you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, means that we're meant to love the world too. And so we don't withdraw from this world God loves. We seek to live fully in it, to serve and to love people. We don't aim to escape from the problems of this world. We work to fix and to heal them. And instead of trying to put God in some small box, instead of declaring that we know exactly how God works and how God doesn't work, and instead of saying we're confident about what is holy and what is profane, instead, instead we've come to see that God can work through unlikely people and in unlikely ways. 
that God can use something as unlikely as our taxes to do good. That, embrace yourself here, that God can use something as unlikely as the government to do good. And we have a perfect example of this from our first reading, which was from the book of Isaiah. It mentions a man named Cyrus who was king of Persia while the Israelites were exiled in Babylon. Cyrus didn't believe in or follow the God of the Israelites, the same God who we follow and believe in today. And yet, when he became king, Cyrus freed the exiled Israelites, sent them home to rebuild. He didn't believe in or follow God, but he still did God's will. He was seen as a hero, as a a person through whom God had worked to the point where our reading from Isaiah this morning describes Cyrus as God's Messiah. So can God use people who don't believe or even have faith at all? Yeah. God doesn't just use the church or work through people of faith. We can reject the whole premise of this question they asked Jesus. There aren't just two options, to either be faithful and withdraw from the world or to sell out your faith and participate in the government. Instead, we can ask questions like Penny. Questions that help us realize that that God can also work through the government. That God has instituted good government to keep order and to seek justice. And that interacting with good government, even paying our taxes, can be an exercise of faith. But it's complicated. It's complicated because sometimes the government works against God's will. Sometimes it's not good. Sometimes the government allows or supports or even institutes great evil. What do we do then? Where does our allegiance ultimately lie? It's complicated, but we are people of faith before we are citizens of of any earthly kingdom or nation. Listen, it's natural and reasonable right now to feel exasperated about our government. But we have to reject becoming cynical so that we keep our eyes open to seeing God work in unexpected ways in people. To see the value in part of our taxes, caring for the weak and poor among us, providing a safety net to help those who are most vulnerable. To see the value in in some of our taxes contributing to the common good as we build roads and support research and fund rescue workers. To celebrate when our government takes steps to care for this physical world or to ensure that people don't have to choose between health care or rent or to help those who are impacted by disaster. We can celebrate that because they're doing God's work. Whether they know it or not, whether it's intentional or not, God is using them just just like Cyrus so long ago. So, are our tax dollars doing God's work or the emperor's work? It's complicated. And when I say it's complicated, 
What I mean is there isn't an easy or clear-cut answer. One of my seminary professors used to say that sometimes all we can do is take our reverent best guess and give people the grace to live and act according to their reverent best guess, even when that means they have an opinion that's different from our own. One of the gifts that comes from being part of a faith community is that it's a safe place to wrestle with issues like this together, to discuss and question how do we honor God? How do we live with that tension of of being part of God's kingdom and citizens of an earthly nation? How do we think about taxes? How do we use our money? Community helps us to, to grow and learn from one another. It helps open our eyes to see God in new and unexpected ways. And I think that's what Jesus is after. He showed everybody where they could find the emperor's image, where they could find Caesar's image on that coin. But we should ask, we should ask, where do we find God's image? And the answer is that we see God's image in ourselves and in one another. You are made in God's image. You belong to God. And the same is true for all the people around you. Mother Teresa used to say to the people she was working with, she used to say to them, can you see God in them yet? As they cared for for dying lepers and people in just abject poverty. See, the good news this morning is that Jesus taught us and proclaimed to us and then showed us that this world is God's and each person is made in God's image with dignity and value and worth, loved by God so deeply that God was willing to die. And while the status of of being a citizen might be reserved for certain people and bestowed selectively by a government. Our identity as God's beloved children is a gift that God offers to every person. So as we talk about deep questions that require our reverent best guess, that's our starting point. How do we honor the image of God in ourselves and in one another? How can we use everything we've got, everything from our money to the way we relate to the government, to the type of citizen and neighbor we choose to be each day? How can we use everything we've got to honor the image of God in ourselves and in each other? That's how we give to God what is God's. By seeing the image of God in one another and letting that guide our words and our actions and our attitudes in love. By giving it our reverent best guess. And by trusting that even when it's complicated, God is found in the messy and complicated parts of life. That it's okay to not have all the answers all the time. That God will keep working in unexpected ways and through unexpected people. And that everything we have and everything we see really is God's. Even Plato. Amen.